Hey, Maggie. Hey, Anna. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. We haven't potted for so long. What has been going on? Oh, I was in New York. You were in, you left town and I've been directing this show. It's very exciting yes. for me to hear you say yes. that to my yes. face in That's person. Right. That's right. And today we talk about it today too. Tell so. me everything. What's the show? It's called, it's an obscure playwright named William Shakespeare. Oh, I haven't heard of him. Yeah, I know. He's uh, English uh, and uh, old. Oh, yeah. how old? 70s, 80s? Yeah, something like that. Great. Yeah, 1580s. But this one is from the later, like 1600, we think. Anyway. He wrote this little comedy. It's one of the funny ones, though. One of the funny comedies. Are there are there unfunny comedies? <sighs> yes, I'm afraid there are. This is not <laughs> one of them. No, this, this isn't. is a frolic in the this forest. This is a frolic in good the forest. Good time for all. Bring yeah, your times. picnic yeah. to Manning Park. Right. Have a glass of wine right. or five. One for each act. One for each act, five acts. Just guzzle it down in the Manning Park. I'm pretty excited. And, and we brought some of the cast here. Who we do have. we have? Matt Smith and Blake Benlam and Lindsay Twig. Fantastic. Let's talk yeah. to them. Let's, Let's get to it. That. So, Maggie, as you like it. How do I like it? Well, it's funny you should say that. I'm going to tell you <laughs> about funny. Funny. the play. Okay. And what it's about. And then why it's called As You Like It, in my opinion, anyway. And, then, and you are the director, so your opinion is really <laughs> what the only one that counts. It's authoritative, yes. And then we can... Um, Bring in some voices and perspectives. Tell me everything. Okay. So As You Like It is one of Shakespeare's comedies in which the central subject is love. And in my interpretation, it's love of many different kinds, like the love you have for your family, for your friends, uh, for someone you've just met and fallen madly in love with, for love that's lasted a little longer than that, for friends who fall in love. Anyway, love, love, love. But it's it's examined and kind of kicked around and looked at from perspective. So I love that. It also has some kind of contemporary texture to it in that um, there's uh, the main character, Rosalind, dresses as a boy. And then she falls, um, she sort of tricks her lover into thinking that she is a boy pretending to be a girl and so it, it's got this very modern you know feel for the slippage of gender and a- attraction that goes on today and and has always gone on of course um but that we're talking about a little more now in culture and what happens is um a young man orlando gets sort of kicked out of the dukedom and goes to venture in the forest of Arden. And at the same time, his this woman that he's mad, who he's just fallen in love with, also gets exiled to the forest of Arden, which is a kind of Edenic space, a paradisial space of um, pure sort of humans in nature, as though there was, you know, a time where everything was cool and people got along and, you know, shepherds were poets and it's kind of Greek and it's kind of 
idealistic. You're laughing at me. I, I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, when was that a thing? That was never a thing, but it was an idea. <laughs> I got it. Okay. <laughs> For a long time. It still is. But this is what happens with a lot of the Shakespearean comedies. They live in this, as you called it, Edenic space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They, they retreat to the forest. Right. To, to sort things. To you know? sort things out. And to it always works because there's always a wedding. It, it, unless it's a tragedy, it works out. Well, if there's a tragedy, there's a death. Right. And we're not right. in the forest. We're in a castle somewhere. And there's a war going on. Yeah. This is my understanding of Shakespeare. Right. Exactly. That's a good one. I mean, are we on are we on a heath or are we in a forest? You know, are we... And for this one, we're in a forest. I mean? Now, why is it called As You Like It? It's called As You Like It. It's not a line in the play. Okay. okay. And it's not the name of the main character. No one's called As You Like It. As You Like It Jones. <laughs> exactly. It, it it's called that because they think they scholars people have studied it and myself concur at the epilogue when Rosalind the main character the female character comes out she says well you know we don't really need epilogues but I'm going to give you one anyway and she says this play must have pleased the women in the audience hmm. so it's sort of like as they like it you know it's addressed, the you is the female audience member. I would really like to say that you chose this play based on current events, but oh, when I think about it, I'm current? like, you could have chosen this yeah. play at any point in the history of the female. True. Because things just have not gotten better. No, they haven't. Well, they probably have. I mean, a little. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've gotten better for a lot of people. Yes. But um, we still have anyway, Kavanaugh. Still sucks. Yeah, well, yeah. We have Kavanaugh and who's today a concept I in our lives. a new pony because of Kavanaugh. I Good just, for you. I decided I deserve a pony. Good for you. Yeah, and we all deserve a pony. Lindsay, you get a pony. Maggie, you get a pony. <laughs> Matt, Everyone gets Blake, a pony. You do not get a pony. You don't get a pony because. <laughs> I'll take patriarchy. my mule. <laughs> <laughs> I'd um, like a new car, actually. Can I have that instead? No, you just get um, an ass. <laughs> as a Supreme Court justice, yes. Yes. <laughs> you just continue to flourish, so that's fine. Um, so yeah, I love I love that about the play. I love the the character of Rosalind. That's why I picked it. I, there were a couple I could have promoted, and and um, and I sort of gravitated towards as you like it. So well, let's talk about the characters that we have in the room with yes, us. The char- oh, the characters. Yes. Ah, I love it. Let's start over here with Lindsay Twig, <laughs> oh. our favorite. Oh. Tell me about your role and how you are getting in touch with your inner Phoebe. Phoebe. Oh, oh dear. Phoebe's a verb. How are you Phoebeing? Anna has decided that Phoebe is a verb and that we are going to Phoebe today. Phoebeing. I like it. To Phoebe. Phoebe. I Phoebe. You Phoebe. We Phoebe. They all Phoebe. He, she, it. Phoebe. Yes. It's interesting because I have always, when I read As You Like It, I've always read Phoebe as an ugly woman who is sort of expecting is attracted to people out of her league or something like that. Hmm. And that's all very silly and sexist. And reading this and having been cast in it, I realized, oh, no, no, Phoebe doesn't have to be ugly. She is actually a very beautiful woman who knows her own mind and knows what she wants. And people just don't know how to handle that. I mean, what Mm. a concept Mm -hmm. that a woman would know what she wants and have the chutzpah to speak about it. Um. So that's been very resonant yeah. uh, with me. 
Um, and she pretty passionately pursues her objective, which is the love of Ganymede. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and But it's also interesting because I've never uh, conceptualized uh, Phoebe and Silvius as good friends. Right. You know, uh, which, yeah, Anna, you brought that up as a concept to try on. And it, yeah. it works it's with it. me yeah. and um, Spencer, yeah. our, our dear, dear Silvius. Silvius. Yeah. Dear Lovely Sylvius. Um, he is he is a joy, a joy and an honor to work with. That yeah. precious human. Yeah. He's um, so fun. But it just, you know, they've been friends for a long time and one's fallen for the other, and perhaps they have this banter that works, you know, well and it just makes sense that they would enter into a union, you know. Yeah. But she's having none of it yeah she's resistant in which case it seems more of like a classic romantic comedy yeah Mm. of falling for the you know falling for the best friend which you know right how many times have we seen that so yeah falling for the wrong person right right it's always the subject of comedy like Mm -hmm. like the exactly wrong person for you in this case it's wrong because um rosalind's in love with someone else you think she's a boy and you're attracted to her as a boy. Mm. And that turns out to be a deception. But, but really, I though, know that's, that's, I mean. interesting. that's what's interesting about the play is that the slippage of gender is so superficial mm-hmm. that like she, Phoebe comments so much on Ganymede's. The things that are unmasculine. Yeah. And she finds them attractive, which yeah. for me personally as a human being, like I, I also resonate with that. That sort of like traditional hypermasculine yeah. uh, tropes and qualities are not as attractive to me. So yeah. it it seems very contemporary. Yeah, um, it does to me. And um, for me, changing or, or the shift, which is subtle to them being friends and kind of uh, Silvius and Phoebe being sort of people who get along with each other and like each other mm-hmm. fundamentally. Uh, it makes the ending pleasant where to right. me, if Phoebe is forced to marry Silvius because it just turns out that Ganymede is really Rosalind, a girl. That's sad. It's that like, is really eh, sad. And that's, you know, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I like it better this way. It, it feels sort of like when people uh, don't know how to handle the end of Taming of the Shrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just see a woman who's been whipped into shape or something. You right. Know, and you don't, right. Yeah. Right. And it's unfortunate. That's interesting you bring up that show because that's the show that Santa Barbara Shakespeare did last year. Mm-hmm. And we had, Maggie and I had them here, the director um, and the producer. And and Maggie was like, so Maggie has this kind of change of vocal tone when she's ready to put you in the examination <laughs> table. When I'm done taking <laughs> shit. I'm like, so, so I noticed that this is really anti-female. Taming of the shrew. With quotes. <laughs> Tell me more about your choice about that. But no, no, no. I think that. But they did. Yeah, a, they did. They, did they handled the end yep. of it as though, you know, uh, Petruchio and Kate found this sort of way of communicating to each other and they really got each other. Mm. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. Was well, good. I really I really like this company that is that 
everyone is working for here. I think that it's yeah. great that we have a Shakespeare in the park. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's a fun, it's fun community event, I think, that everybody can cool. come and, you know, bring a picnic. And you're participating. I'm making a cameo. You are. Let's talk about me later. Let's, Let's go okay, around yeah, the yeah, circle. Yeah. Let's talk to Matt Smith. Hello, Matt Smith. Hello, Maggie. If that is indeed your real name. I'm told it is, but that's what I'm supposed to say also. <laughs> it's on the so. birth certificate. <laughs> Which is it really? <laughs> well, tell me about your character and how you get in touch with your inner Orlando. Orlando. Well, well, you you just said the name. Um, yeah, my character's name is indeed Orlando, and um, Orlando is a young man who is really all heart. Um, he has a wonderfully unvarnished approach to the world, and he throws himself in, um, kind of as a result of his naivety. Uh, wholeheartedly into whatever is happening in the play and so as an actor it's it's a really fun challenge because it takes the sort of maxim of acting that you never really want to leave anything on the table and puts it you know turns it up to like an 11 right like you have to be completely invested in whatever's happening because he's just not really a complex enough guy to be doing anything other than being completely immersed in what's happening He's but 100%. He's 100, at least 100%. Yeah, got it. Yeah, 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 totally. So and I think what's interesting about his journey as, as a character um, is that, you know, he's also somebody who learns something about life, you know, over the course of the play. He learns something about love. He he is kind of the embodiment at the beginning of this um, romantic trope of the lover that falls in love immediately. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the play, you know, from Rosalind, he learns something about about sort of patience and measurement and learning about the person that you're investing yourself in. And to the point that it's it's actually quite it's quite funny the way Shakespeare wrote it because to the point that um, at the end of the play he's got this speech with his brother Oliver where he is um, actually questioning that his brother Oliver fell in love so quickly with Celia in precisely the same way that Orlando fell in love with Rosalind. He says, is it possible that on so little acquaintance you should like her and that but seeing you should love her and loving woo and willing she should grant? He's saying, how could you, are you insane? How could you possibly fall in love that quickly? And yet that's exactly what he did at the top of the play. Mm-hmm. And the reason for the change is the journey that he's been on with, with Rosalind and learning something about the real sort of contours and, and dimensions of being in love. Hmm. Yeah, and in that way, I think, uh, the forest of Arden is is also a trial space. So when the characters go out there, it's almost like a medieval quest or something. It's like a a space in which they learn and grow and change in a way that you can't really learn and grow and change when you're sucked into the events of the regular world and you have to conform to, you know, what's expected of you. Or it's a less performative space as well. Yeah. Because you're you're not observed when you're in the forest and there's no one around, or but or the irony is that you are observed, but right, yes, exactly. So that that as a kind of literary convention, it's set up as this maybe a blank slate mm-hmm. or or you know a place where you can reinvent. But what what ends up getting examined in that space is always sort of the manners and customs and ways of being that are prevalent and kind of problematic 
in civilization. Well, it happens in the forest of Arden, stays in the forest of Arden. <laughs> that's right. Or it doesn't. You know, that I think or that's the point. It doesn't stay there. And uh, yeah. Unlike Las Vegas. Unlike Las Vegas. <laughs> Herpes is forever. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> continue our round of Blake. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Blake Benlin, tell me everything. Tell me about your character and how you get into that space. Yeah. Well, uh, I play Touchstone. He is uh, employed as the court fool. Of course, the uh, Shakespearean fool is... Uh, an archetypal character to be found in many Shakespearean plays, not just his comedies, though they're not uh, always a literal jester in the court. Uh, Still, you'll find these characters that are foolish, if you will, but are nonetheless regarded as uh, sources of uh, wisdom. They Mm -hmm. are seen as rather wise, as is Touchstone. Uh, I think he enjoys his job in that it allows him to uh, to comment on those around him, even those of uh, higher social rank, his fellow courtiers, mm-hmm. uh, Rosalind, for instance. Um, and uh, he can even critique these people and their actions. And uh, though he may earn their scorn, uh, still he... Uh, he is uh, regarded as uh, an objective source of, of wisdom, perhaps because uh, he is allowed to be unfiltered in, in this uh, mm-hmm. highly uh, uh, formal, you know, uh, staunch environment. So in this particular production, yeah. you are a literal fool, or you in- a more conceptual Actually, fool. I would say in this production, he's more, he's less literal. He's okay. more conceptually a fool. Because we don't have him costumed in the, you know, motley. the motley, the, the mm-hmm. sort of patchwork costume that right. would iconically identify him as a fool. He's it's suggested by his his outfit, but it's not like encoded iconically there. And um, I, you know, I think we have him more as a person who, in a way, can't figure has a harder time adapting (laughs) to Arden than some of the other characters and he but he kind of falls in love or lust with a young (laughs) lady named Audrey who has also sort of fallen in lust with him so I I don't know if I left lust out of the menu of (laughs) variations of affection and love that people have in this play but it's definitely I love the um, the way Shakespeare portrayed that through Touchstone and Audrey because they're just so nuts. They're just so crazy. <laughs> Describe that. What does that mean? You're crazy. Because I came in at this point in the rehearsal when mm-hmm. you guys were doing your little shotgun mm-hmm. wedding there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So you guys meet. You have a mutual attraction. It's an offstage meet. Yeah. Oh, it's an offstage for uh, goat herds. Mm. Yeah, she's a goat herd, Audrey, and uh, he Touchstone has sort of selected this, um, not completely authoritative priest to marry them off, and he's hoping that you know can just be kind of like a. I in rehearsal, I think I called it a Las Vegas wedding. You know, Mm. (laughs) it's just kind of like. We're yeah. going to do this real quick, and then we can turn it around real quick, and it'll be fine. And they both seem, like, totally happy with that arrangement, which I'm cool with. So what is the most fun part about this production for you guys? Ooh. 
for me, I think it's it's definitely what I was saying earlier, actually, that this is just like a character who you can just kind of like take all your clothes off with almost like you can just totally completely invest yourself in every moment of what's happening with him because that's 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 who he is um the most fun moment i don't know i think for me the most fun moment is actually the scene where blake walks on his touchstone with this really silly walk and in the rehearsal (laughs) process he's consistently had this like awesome array of shirts from the 1970s from a thrift shop in san francisco that just look absolutely perfect so that's going to be in my mind forever i think so blake thank you thank you for that he Blake skips. skips. He's a good skipper. Just wait until you see me skipping across the stage in costume. Sashaying. God bless you, I can you, hardly sir. wait. I'm bursting into goosebumps. That's funny. Because I, I think one of my favorite moments for Orlando is when you emerge as a poet <laughs> at, oh, yeah. at the top of the scene. And no you, spoilers. I know I won't, but it's like, I was like, oh, you know, maybe you could like frolic. And you like really took that to a great place, the concept of frolicking. <laughs> so I think that a lot of people think about Shakespeare and they think, well, it's sort of like, a, uh, it's an overarching concept that we really should know about, know. but oh, it seems so exhausting. So what True. would you tell people? What is your elevator pitch for getting people to come see you do Shakespeare in the park? Oh, a Shakespearean comedy is more rife with uh, crude humor than an Adam Sandler film. <laughs> So true. True story. So true. Dick jokes on every line. <laughs> Everything is phallic. Everything. Phallic. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Did I mispronounce that? Excuse me. Well, no, you I like it because it's correctly you, pronounced you it. pronounced it right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Let's all say it just once. Just, no, I'm just kidding. Phallic. Phallic. Yeah, that's a great elevator pitch. Although, like... It's so, it's so uh, masked. I mean, I can, I always have this picture of the, you know, Elizabethans or the Jacobians sort of falling over in laughter over these lines that we don't really, like, I forget what the line was that, that I was feeling like, oh, I should explain this a little more, that this is a, this is a joke about castration. <laughs> oh, you mean the cutter off of nature's wit? wit. Maybe yeah. it was the nature's yes. wit one, cutter off of nature's wit. And and I was thinking, like, you know, that was hysterical to them back in 1600, but it's kind of doesn't hit people today, right? I was thinking about how, um, how of course, some jokes are, are lost on contemporary audiences that aren't familiar with uh, Elizabethan parlance. Yeah. But there are also uh, those cases in which um, there's humor to be found by modern audiences, which uh, wasn't there mm, initially. Right. Say, peace ho. <laughs> right, right. Makes, no. I mean, it makes the cast laugh. I know, it's I'm funny. sure it will make the audience what laugh. what makes the, the, the cast laugh. It's, mm. it's always kind of a trip. To, it's so fun, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I would say that, uh, for me, I have such a strong aversion to contemporary romantic comedies mm-hmm. um, because they just you. feel so disingenuous. Yeah. They're totally and, contrived. Right. And there's so much subtext. There's so many gender norms that mm-hmm. are yeah. uh, that have to be upheld in yeah. order for Taking the misunderstanding and the mechanism to work. And yeah. with Shakespeare, of course, there are all these mechanisms in place, but and there's misunderstandings and misreadings, but it's all so earnest because yeah. the speech has no subtext. So it's just all... That your heart's just out there, and there's something about that vulnerability that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. That it's just you just 
like Matt said, you leave it all out there. There is no room. You're just completely exposed. Yeah, there's no sly little glance over to kind of no little Chekhovian winks or, or, you know, nothing. It's just like everything is boom. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I feel. Deal with it right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, characters' yeah. motivations are stated directly to the audience yeah. in, the, mm-hmm. in asides in yeah. many instances. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of accessible that way. It's almost so accessible. Uh, sometimes producers and, and companies and players don't like shirk from how overt it is. You know how open and and kind of like presentational the style is. So mm-hmm. directing wise, because yeah. Anna, you're our lovely director for this show. What are you? telling your actors to hone in on in terms of modernizing it, not necessarily modernizing, but bringing it into a point of accessibility for today's culture that's going to be our audience versus what are you really sticking to that's interpretive or that's traditional? Oh, hmm, that's interesting. I haven't really thought of it that as as a dichotomy that way. Um, you know, when I'm directing, I'm just really thinking about how is this story being told visually and, and through what they're doing and saying to each other. Uh, and, and if, if it's the story I want to tell or the story that I think the actors are on board with telling, um, cause I don't find it productive to really push against an actor's interpretation of the text ever. Um, I think, you know, sometimes I don't agree with it and I might say that and maybe they feel persuaded by that and change course. But if they don't, it's like fine. I mean, I really don't, I don't like to insert my ego as a director. I like to kind of just stay truthful to what hap- what happens at the story level. And am I telling this? Is, is the whole picture telling the story? But in terms of language, I mean, are there, are there yeah. moments where, like like you were saying, that there are things that get said that the modern audience that yeah. will be there next weekend, you yeah. know, will laugh at that we're not necessarily Ooh. laughed at originally? Like, what do we... Well, do we see anything particularly... The, they can't... The modern audience cannot see the layers that Shakespeare put on it with the with the fact that male actors played all these roles. Mm-hmm. So there was an extra joke to oh, them right. to having Rosalind be played by a young man who's pretending to be Rosalind. Who's pretending, who's pretending, to, be pretending a man. to be a young man who's pretending to be a young lady. Okay. You know? Side question. That. Side question. If we are looking at the concept of drag as dress... Mm-hmm like a girl or what is it what yeah. is the dressing in the whatever right do we look at dressing like a boy as drab drab yeah it is kind of drab <laughs> isn't it <laughs> it's hard it's really hard because modern contemporary clothing for women is very you know naturalistically masculine they can wear trousers and no but big we're deal. your production is edwardian yes Sorry, so why did you cho- why did you choose to do it Edwardian because, and what does that look like? Yeah, thank you for that question. That's You're good welcome. One. It's um, far enough back in time that there was a distinct clothing choice for women and men. I mean, of course, there were women who wore trousers to be, but they were they were marked. You know, that was transgressive. 
So uh, I wanted it to be from that social world that it's different, that we kind of, that the audience kind of goes, this is a different world, not not my world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted it to be, like, I didn't want the museum kind of associations that you get with Elizabethan or Jacobian clothing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Elizabethan seemed like, I mean, uh, Edwardian seemed like a good place to land. I could have, I could have done it really just as easily in 1880, but then we'd have corsets and that's a pain. Not conducive to performing under the sun. This no. is the way that theater really works. Right, is right. right. We're going to need a fainting couch, Anna. I know. Wait, where's yeah, my too fainting much. Can we, we move it up 30 years in history? Whalebone? Do we have a budget for whalebone? <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't think we do. Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. I think well, that the whole are... town is looking forward oh. to it. Everybody that I talk to has been oh. talking about it. You guys oh. are excellent on everybody's lips. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you and suggest? How do all of you suggest that people enjoy this piece? Bring some wine. Yeah, yeah. Bring some wine. A little bit of wine, wine and little, brie little and a brie, baguette, little and baguette, a little picnic. Yeah, a friend, a lover, whoever uh, you like. And I think that this is one of the only experiences that people in Santa Barbara get where they get to enjoy the outdoor theater. Mm-hmm. What's different about performing outdoors than performing where you guys normally perform, which is you know the Porta Theater, Center Stage Theater, SBCC Theater, wherever these big theater houses. What do you have to do that's different when you're out in the park? Well, um, it's a very open space uh, in every sense of the word. So you've really got to play it. You've got to project because the expanse of the park really swallows up mm. your, your voice, for instance. And you've got to make it big. And, and I think um, making it big is really the only way to show, uh, sell something like Shakespeare in the first place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it is it is a really open space, and it can sort of swallow you up if you don't remember that you're in an open space. And sometimes I admit that that's a little it's a little crazy making because like you want to get these sort of levels of modulation that you may be able to get in an indoor space that you just can't can't do in an outdoor space. So, but at the same time, it's 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 super fun because it's like there's something just inspiring about being outdoors and doing a show that's set in the outdoors, in the outdoors, and you know, yeah. you're talking about a tree, or you're talking about the sun, or you're talking about the moon, and you're like, oh my God, there's a tree that I'm talking about. And <laughs> it smells like a tree, it looks like a tree, and feels like a tree. So, I mean, I have a scene where I go around carving Rosalind's name in all the trees of the Forest of Arden, and I have like so many trees to choose from because I'm standing <laughs> in a park. So it's, it's, it's like really satisfying in that way. Too. There's something magic about being outside. Yeah. That just, there, you, you speak the speech into the ether, and you're not... Uh, limited by a black dark box like you can see everyone's face and you can speak the speech directly in their eyes and there's something really really wonderful about that um as well as you know being able to sort of blow your top and um the 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 bigger you make it the more it'll read and I think it like de-pompousifies theater in Mm. a big way like sure you know a lot of a lot of people only understand theater, especially Shakespeare, sort of symbolically. It's like this thing you dress up for, like opera or something. <laughs> it's like, no. You know, you can just go and it's, um, like like Blake said, it's kind of a rowdy, fun, uninhibited 
you know, it's I, a more casual affair. Mm-hmm. I, I had once I was teaching a drama class, uh, lit class, and um, one of the students was like, "Oh, thank you for opening up my eyes to to theater." I I thought it was all this just Shakespeare and stuff. Just, you know, just, which just, is kind just, of like, just, 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 you know, but I, I totally knew what she was talking about. Like, she loved that it wasn't stuffy in English class anymore, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's like, I hadn't taught Shakespeare in that class. And so I didn't really make Shakespeare unshakespeared. I didn't unshakespeare Shakespeare. Do, or do you think that you are unshakespearing this Shakespeare? Well, I think, I think I am as much, but that's a lot, that, burden lays partially on the the spectator too you know what they get enculturated to believe to expect and and you know even if it's something different than that if they can only see it through that lens of like english class from 11th grade then there's there's yeah. not much I can do but i think that the lens that we are trying to put out is that this is fun yeah we're having a good time damn it you're having fun now everyone is having fun <laughs> No, but seriously, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think it's it gonna be fun. body. I think it's it gonna is. be. It is. We're having a good time up it's, there. So. They seriously, are. Yeah. If yeah. if I think they really are, and it's a truly pleasant cast. It's a truly. You guys are pleasant. Yeah, Look are. at you, gold stars fun. for everyone. They are wow. Really fun. What flattery? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. You know. <laughs> Only when the mic you is know, on. You <laughs> know. You know what a cynic I am. Everyone here knows, including my dog. What a. Cynic, <laughs> squinty-eyed lady, I am talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it really, it really is. It's really a joyful. It's like mm-hmm. it's just a really joyful play. It's a yeah. play where like everyone kind of gets what they want or yeah. gets what they deserve. And I always thought that it was it was called as you like it, probably for that reason. Yeah, too, that's true. Like, you know, it's all sort of tied up so neatly in a yeah. nice little bow at the end, and yeah. it's like. You know, in a time when things are maybe not necessarily always going the way people want, um, I think it'll be really refreshing to come to a play where, where you do, where, where you, you get, get what it you want, as you, get, you like you get it. That nice resolution yeah. at the end. Yeah, the only character that kind of walks away is um, Jacques, and even his. Uh, oh, I should maybe mention my characterization of Jacques too. Do tell. Well, we have. It played by a local actor, Meredith McBin, who's well known to all. Um, and I told her I want it to be Jacques and I want the male he pronoun to be used, but I want her to play it in whatever clothes she wants to pick for her character and natural to the actress. Natural to the actress, right? And um, just. You know, because I think like Jacques is the corollary to Rosalind. So where Rosalind is so joyous and and embracing and kind of soaking it all in, I think Jacques is 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 like that, but with melancholy. Like he's he she is sad because out of disappointment. <laughs> Like the world isn't measuring up to what he yearns for, you know, and um, and so he he loves Touchstone. Jacques loves Touchstone because Touchstone gets to tell the truth all the time. And uh, at the end of the play, he leaves, and and so I saw like the gender disruption is kind of a corollary to what. Rosalind does very in a very calcul. Rosalind does it in a very calculated way 
Like, I'm going to dress as a boy. Basically, she says so we don't get raped. She says that to her friend, Celia, her cousin. Like, Dark. Thieves, you know, thieves would rather rape us than steal our gold. So let's, I'll be a boy. And you, you know. But yeah, it is dark, but it's real. Keep it comedic, right? Anna. Come keep, on now. No, it's real. It's like there are, no, that is real. There that's, are that's Supreme true. Court justices in this forest. How I've heard about that. resonant. <laughs> <laughs> at like, least two, right? At yeah. least two. And it's scary. So um, I'll be a boy. Uh, <laughs> so she does that consciously. And I think Jacques, though, is more like playing with it as a way to kind of examine the world like i'm he he even says at the end like i don't dance in the party you know i don't like i i don't join your nomenclature i don't i don't do this <laughs> it's his philosophy yeah that's mm. and so i sort of started thinking about the character that way and i i really like it so in terms of it seems like we're playing a lot with as you said the range the range of gender yeah yeah where do you guys as actors and mm. characters, do you feel as though you are like very starchly within the gender that was written? Or how do you guys feel like your characterization is coming through in that within that theme? As much as you want to discuss that candidly on a podcast that is just plopped on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, mm. I, know. I know you are curious. Well, you're like the Deborah Barbara Walters. Deborah Walters? I'm the Deborah Walters. <laughs> <laughs> of podcast, you haven't heard amazing. <laughs> I mean, I guess like um, it's it's funny because so Orlando is definitely I think written to like very anachronistically and, and in a very presentist way that offends me as a historian, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, sort, of, sort of sort of superimpose uh, current you know terminology on the 16th century. He's he's definitely written as a very sort of cis hetero character, I would say. Um, but he, you know, when he goes into the forest, he discovers that he has this attraction, this physical attraction, this this lust for this sort of uh, genderqueer, kind of ambiguous, somewhat ambiguous character that Rosalind is inhabiting. And so that's like a little bit of a discovery for him too. And I don't know. I mean, without like spilling the beans all over the internet, I mean that that's an experience that I identify with. Definitely. So, would you care to elaborate? No, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Would you, Blake? (laughs) Oh, happily. Hey, Maggie. You know, sometimes I want to go to I don't know Paris or or Manitoba or or I don't know Tulum. How do you get there? Well. I don't, but people in this town and our listenership sometimes take jets, and we are being sponsored for this episode by Villiers Jet. So, so tell our listeners about how they jet on the Villiers Jet. Well, Villiers saves you time and money by instantly sourcing pricing and availability from over 9,000 on-demand private jets with one simple inquiry. Wow. No more scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of private jets deciding which one you're going to take down to Mexico. Now you can get one of the 24-7 on-demand agents to just deal with that business for you. Right. Good. It sounds great already. How do we... Book a jet and support Theatrix SB at the same time. Well, you can go to theatricsb.com forward slash jet, and that will get you where you need to go. Yay. 
So please um, book a jet, you know, take a jet. And um, I'm sure there's a song that relates to taking a jet, leaving on an airplane. Leaving on a... When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> From your first cigarette. <laughs> to your last dying day. Villiers. Villiers. Let's thank our producer, David Paris, and music. No, no, no. Shit. You can cut that part. <laughs> Touchstone is very, like, in Touchy touch is very, his... uh, he's very in touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with his, uh, lustful, innate, uh, male desires, if you will. Um... He's very upfront uh, um, about his uh, his shallow desires uh, for Audrey. Uh, he says to her face, all he wants is to take her virginity. <laughs> and he's got a delightful her, little her aside. quote, virginity quote. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is also another kind of bad perform. Like, it's, it's like she's performing it so half-heartedly that not the actor, but the, the character... You know, it's like, I, you know, like when Madonna did like a virgin, it's like a virgin. You know what I mean? <laughs> what even like is that? that? I don't exist. even know. I don't, I don't know. even know. That only is just is a trope. Or is it that touchdowns as if, as if I were a virgin? Yeah. Right? Your if is your. your no. If thou wert a poet, I might if. have some hope thou didst feign. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, uh, Touchstone uh, defies the um, societal expectations of um, a more traditional marriage between a man and a woman in which uh, it's only appropriate for a man to take a woman's honesty, quote unquote, uh, if uh, they are joined in wedlock. And uh, Touchstone uh, does not care about marriage in a traditional sense. He does allow Jacques, I think more out of respect for Jacques than for the institution of marriage, uh, to dissuade him from uh, being married by the uh, rather dubious uh, priest, Sir Oliver Martext. But still, in the later scene, um, they they haven't yet been officially married. They aren't married by Oliver Martext, but um, Touch of Stone reassures Audrey that uh, the search for somebody more proper to marry them will continue. And even by the end of the play, they aren't really officially married by yeah, anyone. that's right. And, uh, yeah, I think Touch of Stone does deny um, the uh, more traditional, conventional um, gender roles in that he embraces his animal desire openly in the context of the um, somewhat repressive uh, 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 formula of interaction between men and women as set forth by the aristocracy of the time mm. and wants to skip all the, uh, you know, uh, formalities, formalities. <laughs> so as to get to uh, the good stuff. Get to the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I think of him as like, I think of Touchstone as intellectual and libidinal, but Orlando is just, you know, all heart. Like he's all mm-hmm. there with his heart. And, and you know, he's actually pretty smart when, when Touchstone and or when Jacques talks to him. But um, mostly he's just earnest and, you know, out there with his heart. 
Mm-hmm. Phoebe, mm-hmm. Phoebe, though, where where are you at with Phoebe? Uh, where are you at? Mm, I mean, <laughs> Phoebe seems, you know, uh, sufficiently cis-hetero. But ho- however, ch- um, I mean, in today's terms, I see her as an, an unruly woman, right? Mm-hmm. Where she knows mm-hmm. her mind. She knows what she wants. She knows right. what she does not want. And yet everyone is telling her yeah. no. Or that's not what you want. And everyone is telling her, uh, no one's taking her seriously and calling her ugly because she has the, you know, she has the guts to say what she wants. And that is unmasculine or that is masculine. That's unfeminine. Uh, Certainly in that, in that time. And I still think that is how we treat women is if you have, you know, if, if you dare to speak your mind that that's. That's, that's still up- upsetting to everybody. transgressive. Yeah, oh. uh, should not be taken seriously. That that makes you a bitch. And yeah. she's she's You're supposed to erase she's a bitch. her own desire. Yeah, yeah. yeah in a way, that's almost like why, on uh, by the same token, Rosalind can't really uh, have a deep relationship with Orlando or any other man she might meet until she's a man. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Because then she can kind of say, hey, wait a minute, you know, and <laughs> give direction. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then and then there is her attraction to Ganymede, as it were. Yeah. That's just like, is she attracted to him as a man? I or, don't know. Aren't we know. a little uh, all a little bisexual? You right. know, and that 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 seems natural. That seems yeah. resonant to yeah, me. Yeah, especially since everything she lists that she likes about him about Ganymede, a.k.a. Rosalind, is is her kind of her rosy cheeks and her lips right. and her, you know, his, her. Um, hmm. It's like, hmm, what's going fair on there? Youth. Yeah, she's fair just, She's just a bi-curious white girl. Sorry. She is <laughs> stuck in the forest of Arden where population 10. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly goats. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, you know. Five goats. This production is going to be amazing. I mean, then there's the flutist. Oh, flutist. Oh, thank you for that. Wait, are we not going to talk about all the ghosts we've cast? I know. I love the ghosts. There was a really, really like hard casting process for the goats. Like we made them sing. We made them dance. We made them give birth. I'm sorry. That's not iambic Mm -hmm. enough for me. Back well, to the barnyard. I am very excited for this production. Thank you guys so much for coming and talking about it. I love the fact that we do Shakespeare in the Park here. I think it's, it's Manning Park. Manning Park. Give me the dates. We'll, give we'll me the give information. The um, shoot. What October are October thirteenth and fourteenth? It's yeah. a Saturday and Sunday. I'm so not good with numbers. Thirteen, fourteen in the park, Manning Park, which is like off San Ysidro Road, and there's two halves to the left. It's the one to the left as if you're, you're facing the, the mountains. mountains. Yeah. And it's it's the very lowest part where the big redwoods. Just keep hang. driving until you cannot drive anymore. Until you can no longer drive. And, and this then you is a uh, free production with with suggested donation. So yes. it's sort of a pay yes. what you can. It, it's definitely like that's part of Santa Barbara Shakespeare, of which none of us are, are board members or anything. We're all just doing our thing community enthusiasts yeah mm-hmm. um they you know envisioned a company that allows anyone no matter what the budget is of, of that individual to come see the show 
And um, they're hoping that, you know, people will give what they can. Yeah, you know, sure. Truly. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think it makes theater accessible. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. what you guys are doing is making this interesting con concept very accessible Mm -hmm. i'm really Mm -hmm. looking forward to Mm -hmm. it you should see how cute the musician is oh my god stop selling me like i'm a piece of meat you are a piece of meat though (sighs) sorry i did buy a really cute costume i'm not gonna i'm not Uh, gonna front like i'm not gonna look bye 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 you purchased (laughs) girl i don't know you anymore it's an edwardian bikini (laughs) (laughs) and those are like the unsexiest garments known to man (laughs) yeah it's actually like just a tent wool it's just a tent (laughs) It's a, wool, wool. it's a wool tent. <laughs> You're just the woman in white. Yeah. That's just coming to haunt oh, us God. all. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'm so excited. We yeah, will see all of you out there. Yes. And we will see all of you listeners out there for Damn a picnic it. in the park with some theater. Damn straight. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. You're thank welcome. You. So I'm really excited about this upcoming project of ours because I think this may be the first time that you and I have actually done a production together. Together, yes, finally at last. I know, at long last. Music and lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So everyone's coming to Manning Park to see it. We're giving you the dates and the times. So this Saturday, this Sunday, which is the 13th and 14th. Right, and on Saturday it's at four o'clock. And on Sunday, we have two shows, one at noon and one at four o'clock. So, excellent. So, all the happy hour hours. Yeah, all the hours. Brunch on Sunday, happy hour Saturday and Sunday. Exactly. Come get your Shakespeare on in lovely Montecito. Yeah, it's a great show. All right. Should we thank our producer, David Paris and Miles Austin? Absolutely. Uh, check out to to get your jet. You go, you want to go to theatricsb.com slash right. jet to, to order your jet. You can take the jet to the park. That's right. Just leave it at the park for the show and, you know, then yeah. pick it up and, and up. take it, take yeah, it back just down, like downtown or whatever, right. wherever I think, you're going. I think so. I yeah. think that's great.